is super hot. Yeah, but Hamburg for you must be very, very cold. One of the most important topics for you is sovereignty. We just heard a talk about like identity of having free choice. Why is this topic so important for you and how do you define sovereignty? Yes, so I guess um, definition maybe um, not the best way, but I can try. And uh, possibly digital sovereignty also in today's world obviously doesn't only mean technological sovereignty, but also we have a very important geopolitical dimension, uh, an economic dimension, and just purely a political dimension of sovereignty. But I think maybe very simple first, um, It means that we see during the pandemic how much technology is not anymore just a question for you guys working in the industry, and it's not just a question for geeks or technology experts, but suddenly it's becoming part of you know, everything we do. So we have experienced maybe, probably also in Germany, about you know, distance education, smart working, mm -hmm. uh, more and more um, e-commerce, 30% more of use of e-commerce services, Uh, healthcare, I'm sure you had here these contact tracing apps and all these kind of uh, corona apps that people are using. Uh, more and more digital ID is becoming part of you know, your everyday life. So I think we are accelerating digitization in a, in a way that's unprecedented in our society. And I think digital sovereignty means that accelerating digitization is not enough mm -hmm. because uh, it's going to be speed up and we may be going to talk about what Europe is doing at the moment. Uh, but I think we also have to give a direction um, to digitization, which in the first place means as a society, we want to decide first how do we govern those technologies. And we heard a little bit about that. So do we want to be in control of our data? Do we want to keep our rights in the digital society? Which means in, in Germany, you have this strong word, uh, information self-determination, or you know, being able to, um, to have your autonomy as a person and as a human being, and, but also you You know, you want to keep your worker rights, so you don't want to be a slave of the gig economy mm -hmm. um, and many other things. So what it means to have rights in the digital society is very important. But also, I think, uh, maybe important for you as well is how do we direct the power of technology, which is the power of collective intelligence, but also of the technological infrastructure that we are building, connectivity, artificial intelligence, microchip, uh, 5G, quantum, I mean, all of these, two society's biggest challenges, which at the moment, uh, I think today here, there is a strike, so the, the, the Fridays for right, Future yeah. are outside telling us we have very limited time to act, so I would say the climate emergency being the first challenge that we have to face. And then also transforming our cities. We need to redefine mobility completely. Uh, we need to uh, do the ecological transition. We need to also spread wealth much more equally in society. And we need to actually defend our democracy. So now time. you made a, made so, a huge, yeah. huge journey. No, but this means that... Um, I'm a bit concerned when I hear that we are attracting the most talented people of our times, mm -hmm. which is you guys working in technology, because, you, you know, with these people working artificial intelligence, quantum, and all these technological infrastructures are some of the most talented people of our times, but maybe we tell them that they only need to monetize eyeballs. No. Mm -hmm. I think there is much bigger actual collective 
problems, environmental, social, economic, that we have to face as a society, and we want technology to be leveraged for that. So this is what technological sovereignty means. Then there is, of course, a dimension of data sovereignty that maybe we can talk about later. Uh, but I think um, there is also a question of, of course, um, security, national security, economic competitiveness, and so on, which is very important to technological sovereignty. And what one big problem that Europe has is that uh, today, if you look at, I'm sure you are very familiar with those graphs telling us, you know, what's market capitalization of the big tech companies, and you see that until very recently, uh, the first step 10 companies in the world with more power were maybe oil or pharmaceutical companies. Today, they're tech companies. Uh, and the big tech today make uh, around, you know, uh, eight to nine um, trillion US dollars of market capitalization, which is more than the entire European stock market. <laughs> so this is not good for Europe. And amongst the big tech companies, there is none of them European. So this means that the value is shifting somewhere else and that uh, Europe needs to come back to acquire capabilities when it comes to make technologies here and also, of course, scientific uh, competitiveness. So we have a huge journey, what sovereignty so, means? Yeah, so we need to build technologies made in Europe which are more tailored to our principles, values, and also our objectives in the future. Okay, but first, um, let's, let's, so this is let's maybe dive into the, the yeah. big question uh, where we have like this this kind of clash. We have these big tech companies just to okay. just name. They are all coming from the US. We have uh, and, companies and the Chinese equivalent coming, China, yeah, they're coming up uh, from yeah. China. Um, there are very few to little European companies. We had like Wirecard just imploding recently. Um, yeah. And on the other hand, they provide us with services that are so damn convenient that we cannot really refer from using them. But how can we grasp as yeah. a society this, this clash? Uh, you know the EU is doing stuff and doing regulations, but some critics are saying they are over-regulating and the politicians are not really understanding what these companies okay. are doing. So how can we get these two point of views together? Two things about that. First of all, um, this is connected to what I was saying before. So more and more society understands that actually digital infrastructures are underpinning essential services of society. Healthcare, education, working, uh, what we do in cities. So they're really essential infrastructures of our time. And even there was a debate in the European Parliament saying they should be access to the internet or access to connectivity should be considered a human right for everybody. Like because water. On that, exactly. Yeah. Because on that, it depends what we can do as human beings. But at the same time, we realize how much we are dependent on very few companies that control the cloud infrastructure, software, hardware, and our data in particular. And these are the big tech. I mean, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple on one side, and then uh, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, uh, Huawei, yeah, on the other side. And so uh, this is a real problem, <laughs> because what do you do uh, when you are so dependent? It also means that the, the rules of the game for the future are not set here. Well, the communist so, answer would be clear. Huh? The communist answer would be clear. Just take it as a society and... Oh, well, I mean, uh, the ch yeah, I think, I think the, the, the question there, uh, it's not so clear, not even for the Chinese. I think here we have a future society that's like um, split into two possible avenues. Uh, what I call on one side the big tech 
which is the Silicon Valley surveillance capitalism model. That's how Shoshana Zubo from the Harvard Business School talks about the Silicon Valley model. And on one side, we have the big state, which is the more digital authoritarian Chinese way, mm -hmm. where you have social credit uh, system for the entire population, surveillance cameras everywhere, data aggregated everywhere centrally. And of course, as a citizen, you just have to be harmonic. The Chinese, though, are, are now regulating, yeah. starting to regulate their own companies. But those two models, the big tech and the big state, I don't think they really apply to our, you know, uh, let's say, liberal democracy model in Europe. So we have to come up with our own way, which have been defined big democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, that means exactly that, you know, we're going to, on one side, regulate it, but not like we're doing with the cookies directive, right? That regulating, uh, meaning that for a, for, a, for a user, it's a horrible experience to use technology. Because you, you have to go there and you have to tick all these boxes. These boxes that we tick yeah, are I actually mean the cookie, our... The cookie yeah, the things, cookies. Yeah. And uh, do you want to be tracked? And where is the data coming from? And you have to select all these horrible... Yeah. yeah and normally the, you just so, say, okay, give it to me. Yeah. But that is an important part because it's the terms of contract. So it is actually our rights. So we give away a mm -hmm. lot of rights. When because it's too complicated. This. Yeah, and it's too complicated. And I think the problem is that the regulators and policy people, like a little bit like myself, I'm not like a regulator, but definitely I'm involved in policy making, we haven't been working too much with you guys, I mean, with the industry, with the technology experts, and we haven't empowered things like, you know, easy cryptography for everybody, mm -hmm. or easy technological solutions that preserve your fundamental rights, but at the same time enable people to use those tools, because we need this data, we actually need to mobilize this data, and we need those technologies to empower people. But can you force the tech companies to, to like do these more easy yeah, access I tools, uh, to, to invent them and to make it more? Yeah, I, I know that Apple, for example, is pretending to give the user more sovereignty. Yeah. I, I don't know if, if well, I can Well, I mean, there, there's also lots of problems with the Apple new operating system scanning all your pictures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and so this, this is a problem. Can we, can we force and I think now many society? people want to have a system that scans everything in order to detect child pornography. I mean, we all want to fight that, of course, mm -hmm. but that's not the way to do it. And also, it's not very compliant with uh, some of the regulations we have in Europe. So that's the problem, I think. I think, um, for me, uh, and of course, this would require lots of investment. So at, at the European side, we cannot only regulate. By the way, regulation is not only the Cookies Directive or the GDPR, which is the Data Protection Regulation. We're also doing very good things at a European level, which is making um, those companies pay taxes where they create value. And this is part of the digital taxation program. And we also have a very strong lead when it comes to competition and antitrust. Because as we know, if you look at the mergers and acquisitions of many of those big tech companies in the last few years, they also buy a startup or a competitor uh, and it's unfair competition because they buy them to acquire the data or their capability and then they block a fair competition in that particular sector. So there is a lot to do there. Mm -hmm. But I want to say that this is not enough regulation. We have to invest more in technology here in Europe. Yes, which means an equity market that's functioning at a European scale. And we want, you know, to scale up these this, this technologies here, but also to retain the talent. 
I mean, I had it in one of the projects that you mentioned, which is Decode. So we developed a crypto cryptographic protocol, mm -hmm. which was based on uh, distributed ledger technology, but with a new cryptographic protocol that would enable people to be more in control of their data. So a kind of decentralized data architecture where people can decide what data they want to keep private, what data they want to share, with whom, and on what terms. And this cryptography you, you would be like was developed by a team of, yeah. of, of developers and researchers at UCL in London, all completely funded by European research and investment and innovation money. And then the group, when they developed this new cryptographic protocol, were completely bought by Facebook uh, to go in Palo Alto to develop the Libra project, which is their cryptocurrency, which now it's called. Uh, um, uh, the dime or something like that. Anyways, they changed. I the had name. Libra in mind as well. Uh, DM, DM. Yes, that's how it's the cryptocurrency. So in cryptography, distributed technology, uh, decentralized crypto stuff. In Europe, we have some of the best talents. Uh, also in security and um, ethics by design. I mean, all these new kind of fields. We have the best um, talent here in Europe, but then they can't compete if a big company from Silicon Valley wants to get them. But are you hopeful? <laughs> so that we are... I'm hopeful that we're going to invest much more. Yeah. I mean, actually, just for your own knowledge, I don't know how much you follow this stuff, but the Next Generation EU, which is the digital uh, policy of the European Commission, is investing around 400 billions in digitization for Europe. So there is a lot of opportunity out there. And it's not only the cloud, but it's, uh, I mean, the cloud, 5G, AI, data, digital services. So a lot of money will be going into the system, and obviously also when it comes to investment in equity and the equity market at European scale, we are doing really good steps. Um, maybe so let's, I let's am confident that we are going to have to do this. Yeah, maybe let's ask, uh, ask the audience, yeah, like ask raise, the audience. raise your hands, guys <laughs> and girls and, and ladies and gentlemen, um, if you are as uh, positive as Francesca is that Europe oh. can like be sovereign and do these big steps towards the sovereignty coming towards society, technology, and, and so on. So he, who is as positive as Francesca is? Oh, you see. Okay. Quite and who is, who is a bit skeptical? Okay. Well, skepticism and is good, though. Yeah. And, and, it's and not, who it's thinks... It's not a bad thing. I who mean, thinks, also okay, because the, they... the game is lost? <laughs> okay, one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, one. That's, that's fair enough. Well, that's actually um, not too bad, yeah. because I mean, the, the state of the art is not very positive. We know that. I mean, of course, it's continuously saying, oh, how can we be so powerful as Google? We can't beat Alibaba. We can't. Also, we don't have the right financial investment, but we have a lot of capacity, a lot of talent. And I think we have a way to look at this digital future that's really a bit different, and we should be proud of that. You see, we should not, because then all the time, otherwise, we're going to see this presentation saying, oh, my God, we're losing our identity. Our personalization is like, who is controlling our data? Where do they go for what? What are we actually doing with this technology? For what? Mm -hmm. Right? So I think we want to know that all this capacity, all this technology doesn't only go, well, first of all, monetizing eyeballs, of course, but also, I mean, I'm sure you have kids and you are a little bit concerned. We hear all the time that the executive in Silicon Valley blocked their kids from using these gadgets. 
Why? <laughs> because they are afraid that they go into this kind of, yeah? They always say kind of, they know what they uh, Being into the screen. So I think this is not the only possible way to develop a kind of digital society that's also targeting on what the people uh, outside are asking. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have much time to decarbonize our economy, to kind of um, do this ecological transition, to fight climate change, but also to transform the way we work and live for the better. And I think we need this capacity. I mean, technology is our weapon. We are building amazing type of infrastructures, but we have to use this collective intelligence in order to, you know, get to a better future. So this it is sounds simple, but I think, I mean, the talent well, and, and the experience <laughs> and the capacity is in rooms like this. Yeah. So I believe we have to, you know, um, also get more connected. I mean, multidisciplinarity is a word you hear a lot of times. I'm now advising Ursula von der Leyen in a project that's called the New European Bauhaus, that it's like want to build a cultural movement for the Green Deal, work with architects, urban planners, transform our cities, technology, scientists, and just, you know, make it happen with great projects. And I think that's like how I see the future of technology. The dystopia is what we are living now. <laughs> the future is what we have to build. Francesca, <laughs> thank you very yeah. much for your insights and for your positivity. So the future is here. <laughs> one, this is one of the events uh, we are here for to network, to form this kind of alliances between different technologies and between different thinkers and companies. So this is what we're going to do today. Francesca, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.